Hey there, welcome back to the Path to Zion podcast, where we are rediscovering the ancient way. You can always find us online at pathtozion.com and, of course, on our YouTube channel. If you look up Path to Zion podcast, it's very easy to find us. Subscribe, won't you? And uh, let us know how you are, where you are, what you're doing, and uh, what the Father is speaking to you. Now, we are talking about this. Some things never change. A biblical comparison of two dead sons. And in the first part, we talked about the account in 2 Kings chapter 4, where Elisha encounters the Shunammite woman, and he prophesies that she is going to have a child. And she does. And that comes to pass. The child gets sick out in the field and passes away on her lap, and she is distressed. She goes to the prophet who basically tells her, I don't know what's going on. The father hasn't told me. She brings up her son. Elisha somehow catches on to what is going on, and he goes to her, um, to her house, and finds the son dead and does all these things we talked about, just kind of crazy things, and the boy comes back to life. And there are very many things within that account that I find very intriguing. We touched on some of them in part one, and we are going to move now into the the second dead son account. And this time, as I already alluded to, in Luke chapter 7, this is Yeshua encountering, encountering a very similar circumstance. And, and I just love it. Now, there are many. I would love to do a study on this in more fullness sometime. Uh, there are a lot of, of very interesting comparisons between Yeshua and Elisha. Uh, there are so many different things that happened, um, whether it's feeding many people miraculously or, or this, um, these accounts with, with, with dead boys. Like, There's just a lot of things like, wow, that's just very intriguing that there's so many similarities between these two individuals. I love how the Bible is like that. And of course, there's endless layers to these things, and we're only... We're plucking out two and only talking about them in small measure. And so to set the stage a little bit for, for where we are in Luke chapter 7, um, Yeshua has just healed the centurion's son. And and the the part of the account that we're going to read, again, is is very briefly mentioned. It's, it's hardly even recorded, um, yet very astounding in the sense of what we already looked at in 2 Kings chapter 4. And so um, um, for, we, we fast forward about roughly 800 years in time, okay? So if, if, we can, if we can put on a timeline, Elisha with the Shunammite woman and her son and all that circumstance, travel into the future 800 years, and Yeshua is encountering a very interesting circumstance. Um, and by the, by the time that Yeshua came uh, to earth, Shunam was no more. Shunem was off the map. It didn't exist in its previous form and condition as it did when the prophet Elisha was there. However, we find him in an interesting city that's called Nain. Nain. Okay, now now Nain is in the exact same region as Shunem. In fact, if you look on a map and you start comparing older maps with newer maps, as far as newer being when Yeshua was on the earth, um, the best people have been able to tell. Um, Nain is only about five kilometers north of where Shunem was located. Okay, now I find this fascinating. I, I love this stuff. Like, if we can, because I'm, again, I'm an immerser. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't baptize people. 
but I immerse myself into the Word of God, and, and I try to imagine these scenarios. I try to imagine what people are smelling, what they're seeing, what they're feeling, what emotions they're having, what, what is the background scenario, what are the other individuals in the scene thinking, what are they seeing. I love, I love doing that. And so I've done that with this, just like I said in the last episode about the father in the field. Now I have a son, and we go out and we work in the pasture, and like that's why I was saying I can envision the circumstance. And why in the world would he not take his son back to his mother and like be a responsible father and help take care of him? And that's why I ask these questions, because I envision what was transpiring. I like to immerse insert myself into these circumstances. So that's why I find this fascinating that 800 years later, Yeshua, just by happenstance, is coming up. We're about to find out he's going to come up into a circumstance and a scene here that is in measure very similar to the exact same experience the prophet Elisha had miles away 800 years previous. I I find that so incredible. I love it. Um, And we'll read the text. Let's go ahead and read it. Luke 7, um, 11 through 17. And it came about soon afterwards, after the healing of the centurion's son, he, Yeshua, went to a city called Nain, and his disciples were going along with him, accompanied by a large multitude. Okay, so just imagine this. I'm going to kind of do a little commentary since this is only a few verses. It's more more, uh, appropriate to do that. I couldn't do that with the last one. That was a chunk of a chapter. So Yeshua is coming into this city. It's called Nain. His disciples are with him, and of course there's a large amount of people there as well. Just following him, like, amazed at this man. Verse 12, As he, Yeshua, approached the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow, and a sizable crowd from the city was with her. So imagine this. Yeshua's coming into this city. He already has a multitude with him, following him, and his disciples. And they come up on another multitude, a crowd that had gathered for like basically a funeral procession for this young man. And so this woman was a widow. And a sizable crowd of the city was with her. Verse 13, when when he saw her, he, Yeshua, felt compassion for her and said to her, Do not weep. And he came up and he touched the coffin, and the bearers came to a halt. So everything stops. Yeshua touches the coffin, and the entire procession stops. And Yeshua said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up. And he began to speak, and Yeshua gave him back to his mother. And fear gripped everyone who was there. Huh, imagine that. And they began glorifying Yahweh Elohim. Okay, just can we just stop there? We don't do this enough. Fear gripped these people. Now, if I told you, and here's the problem with with culture and entertainment and just the age we live in, that, again, is nothing new. It's just a different modern-day version of it. If I told you that I was going to do something, present something to you that would would cause you to be gripped by fear, 
you would think of a horror movie of a nightmare situation of someone chasing you with a knife in the in in the nighttime or someone you know trying to rattle in your door of your house at two in the morning oh i'm gripped with fear and see that's how that's how we're just tainted and, and we're just ruined but in this, to use the verbiage that's written here for us in Luke, fear gripped them all, and this caused them to begin glorifying Yahweh. Okay, so we have to pre, we have to reprogram our thinking of like, there is a rightful fear of when we see something supernatural that the hand of the Father does through any individual, or if He just sovereignly does it by His own doing, from from where he is, without using man as a conduit. However it transpires, it should cause us to have rightful fear and reverence and awe that we're filled with fright because we're, we don't understand what we see. This is so much greater than us. I'm nothing but dust and dirt. I glorify the giver of life. That would do us well to be men and women and children who know that to be part of our life, of being gripped. Have, let me ask you this. When was the last time you encountered something that drove you to your knees in absolute awe and reverence and fear and you out of your mouth with noise, with sounds and words and groanings, glorified Yahweh Elohim because he is so incredibly awesome? And, 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 and beyond our comprehension. For some people, it may have been this morning. For others, it may have been 1988. And we need to reckon with that. I'm saying that to myself. I've had those circumstances in my life many times, but they are not as regular as they should be. Moving on. Yeshua gives him back to his mother. Fear grips everyone. They glorify God and they say this. This is interesting. Again, all of this is what? A biblical comparison of two dead sons. Now the previous being with Elisha and the Shunammite woman's son. In this case, this is what they say about Yeshua. A great prophet has arisen among us. And Yahweh has visited his people. And this report concerning him went out all over Judea and in all the surrounding districts. So let's talk about this one for a few minutes. And this one primarily because it is so short and so just concise and to the point. The main point from here on out is going to be using this little bit of text we have here and putting it side by side with the greater text we had back in 2 Kings and, and excitedly looking at the comparisons of the two to drive home in the deepest part of our beings that, you know what, y'all, in a good way, in an awesome, incredible way, according to Yahweh Elohim's way, some things never change. And that is worth an amen from us. Some things never change, friend. And that is for our good, because Yahweh, His ways are perfect. So, to make these, these points and these, these connections the best I know how, here, in this account, in Luke chapter 7, we find a mother. We find a dead boy. We find another man of God. And don't, again, here I am, don't scrutinize what I'm saying. I'm not saying that Yeshua was merely a prophet. I'm saying Yeshua was 
a number of things, functions, seats, if you will. Fully God, fully man, he was not just a prophet, but he was a prophet. So we have a mother, a dead boy, and a man of God, just like the Elisha account. I find it fascinating that we find Yeshua encountering a woman that was a widow in light of what I've already referenced a little bit about the the questions and concerns I have about the father in the second Kings account. Where was he? Why is he not a part of anything going on here? I'm not saying she was a widow, but I'm saying to only use the Bible text alone, and not to try to read into it, but I'm a question asker, to pose the question, which is harmless to ask questions. Are there similarities even with that? Because the the Shunammite woman was was kind of acting widow-esque. Her husband didn't seem to play a role, or, or at least not much of one. And in this case, in the Luke chapter 7, we're told clear, clearly, word for word, this woman was a widow. Now this time in this account, the son is in a coffin in, in this funeral procession, as we've already read. Yeshua first approaches the mother and then spoke as he touched the coffin. He tells her what? Don't, don't weep. And then the very next thing he says out of his mouth is, Young man, I say to you, arise. He was simply moved by compassion, spoke words of life, and the boy came to life and literally sat up. So to highlight some facts that I believe are worth noting, just I just love doing it. Let's, uh, let's place these accounts side by side just a little more clearly and note the differences. to help drive home the point of this series. Case number one, the, the, the woman sought out the man of Yahweh for healing. Okay, now this is, this is really important, and this is, if we can pinpoint what I want to get across in this and why I feel like the Father is, is highlighting this for us, it's because of this right here. In the first case, in the Older Testament account with Elisha the prophet, the woman sought out the man of Yahweh for healing. Okay? This is important now. Pay attention. She sought out the man. Now, she didn't seek him out again to be clear and to make sure we understand the Scripture. We're not trying to make it say something else. She didn't go and say, raise my son from the dead. You gave him to me, you know. She didn't do that. But she did take the action. She took the initiative to go to the man of God and literally, in the natural even, travel to him for, at at the very least, an answer for help, for understanding at the very least. Now, she did get healing for the son, of course. Now, in the case number two, with Yeshua, the man of God, of course, if that needs even mentioned, he seeks out the woman. Okay, if you're not tracking me, I'll, I'll make this as clear as I know how. In the Older Testament, the the woman in need, in despair, sought out the the prophet, the man of Yahweh. When Yeshua came, Yeshua was the initiator. Yeshua was the one who saw the circumstance and responded and reacted to what he saw, and he was the initiator of all of it. No, no one brought a dead child to him, okay? This, this widow, this mother, did not seek out Yeshua for 
help or healing of her son. I believe it's very significant. I hope you understand what I'm saying. And and this is going to make sense and why I'm bringing out this point of like what was and what is. Interestingly, another fact, Elisha means my Elohim is salvation. Of course, Yeshua means Yahweh is salvation. Now, now I found I found it very interesting in verse 16, and we already talked about that a little bit. But the the multitudes say a great prophet has arisen among us. Now let's scrutinize their verbiage a little bit. And remember, historically speaking, where these people were standing watching a prophet of Yahweh raise a boy from the dead. Now, yes, it's been 800 years since Elisha did the same. But I would propose that it's, it's at least very possible these people knew that account. They had heard that story before. They were familiar with a day 800 years previous where a man of God, a prophet of Yahweh, came to town and spoke and did action to bring a dead boy to life. Could that be why, they said, a prophet has arisen among us? I'm saying, could they be insinuating at the least, just like the prophet Elijah 800 years ago, there's another prophet in town, and it's this man right here, Yeshua. Right? Very plausible. I would say. I think they remembered the other prophet that preceded this one. To follow Scripture a little bit more, just because I like doing this, I I looked into this visited us. Um, In this verse, a great prophet has arisen among us, and Yahweh has visited us. Okay, now now visited us is, is not talking about like being in proximity in this understanding in the Greek. That's not what they were intending us to understand. It's, it's much greater than that. Um, this pops up in the Older Testament with, with Yahweh visiting Sarah. When, when she was visited by Yahweh in Genesis chapter 21, it indicates that, that Yahweh's compassion, his mercy, his kindness had been brought to an individual. Okay, So, so that's the understanding here in, in Luke chapter 7. These people are saying a prophet is on the scene. A prophet of Yahweh Elohim is here with us, among us, and that means that Yahweh himself has seen us. He's taken notice of us, and he has shown us compassion, mercy, and kindness. I find that very significant. Now, to use the, just because we need scripture to, to prove this point, James chapter 1, verse 27, many of us know this verse, pure and undefiled religion. From uh, before, pure and undefiled religion before Yahweh, our Elohim and our Father, is this. What? To visit widows and orphans in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. This visit, same exact word as here in Luke chapter 7. To, to show compassion and benevolence and consideration. And to, you know what? I see you. I look at you and I see your distress. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 6, it pops up again. Somewhere, someone has testified, saying, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? In other words, why in the world are you visiting us, 
Why are you compassionate towards us? Why are you looking at us and making any kind of response at all for just us? That is the way of the Father. That is something, friend, that never, ever changes. He has always been that way. And we're going to bring that to the culmination here in a little while. These are references to Yahweh's endless, eternal compassion and kindness towards mankind. As I always have said for years, for 20 years now, and I didn't know squat then, I barely know anything now, Father does not just love us. He is love. He, we are told He literally is love. It is His essence. He can't help Himself. <laughs> and the best part of all is He loves perfectly unlike you and I. Now, I I felt compelled to use this side-by-side comparison of of the old with the new to briefly discuss covenants, um, because I see the correlation within these accounts. Now, this jumped off the page to me, and I'll I'll be honest, it may not to you. So it's it's a presentation, a submission of like, just consider if this is true, if this is right, if this makes sense in these Two biblical accounts side by side. And I'll, I'll try to do my best to make clear what I mean. Second Kings, in the, in the account in Second Kings, people go to Yahweh, as we just talked about a few minutes ago. They go to the man of God, okay, Elisha. Saddle the donkeys so that I may go to the prophet, to the man of Yahweh, okay? The, the Shunammite woman had to take the initiative. She had to take the action. She had to saddle a donkey, climb on the thing, and ride it. 20 miles, to go to the prophet, okay? That is the second king's version, if you will, of what what was taking place. In Luke chapter 7 and verse 13, the man of Yahweh, Yeshua, goes to man, okay? Yeshua saw the woman and had compassion on her. Then he came and touched the coffin. Okay, so I'm trying to paint a picture for us. Because people always want to talk about the change, the shift from new from old covenant to new covenant. I'm proposing that in part it is wrapped up within what I'm hoping to present in this. In the old covenant, in the Old Testament, in the in the account of the prophet of Yahweh Elohim, Elisha, the woman put forth the initiative to go to the man of God to receive what she was in need of, okay? And I'm not saying we just disregard that now. Please understand and and, and understand the fullness of what I'm proposing. In Luke chapter 7, very clearly, Yeshua comes upon the scene, not by happenstance that he is where this has already taken place 800 years previous. And he is the one who takes the initiative. He came and touched the coffin of the dead boy and called him back to life. Okay, so, so some quick comparisons to review this and, and keep this theme going. Second Kings, Elisha said, take up your son. You pick him up, okay? Now, you can tell me that I'm just over-scrutinizing the Scripture. I don't believe so. I'm not saying that's not possible, but I believe the deeper we peer into the Word of God, the more layers we see within it, because, friend, there's endless layers. It's just a matter of does Holy Spirit release, (laughs) reveal those layers to us any deeper than the top layer? I don't know, sometimes. That's my hope. That's the desire of my heart when I sit down and study. 
He, so so the, the prophet says, take up your son. You pick him up, lady. <laughs> Yeshua in Luke 7, verse 15. Yeshua gave him back to your mother. Here is your son. You understand the imagery. If, if we're looking at a change, Yeshua, Mediator Messiah, Emmanuel, Yahweh Elohim himself encased in flesh, the pleasing son, he started, he, when he came to earth, he became an initiator of the new covenant reality. And he, 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 he by will and by choice and by leading of, of the Father through him and obeying everything the Father said and only doing what he saw and saying what he, what he heard, he began to carry out a new era of function in the way that he said, you know what, I'm coming. And I'm, I'm emptying myself. We know the Word of God says that. He emptied himself. Why? So that he was in his proper enthroned place, but also equally moved out of the way for the Father to make all things right. Through his sacrificial giving of himself, and we come alongside, and we, through repentance and all these things we don't have time to always talk about, we do likewise. We empty ourselves. And then, once again, we can be unified and get back into the covenant that we broke years and years ago because we're harlots full of idolatry. So I believe Yeshua, by demonstration, showed us the institution and outset of the new covenant reality in this switch, if you will, of how Yahweh was dealing with men. There is a stark difference in this account specifically. And to and to bring this one to a to a close, part two here, I'd like to use this to promote what what I just called the linear movement of of Yahweh's activity with men. Again, I'm proposing that the only difference is the age that we live in. That's all I'm saying. Time time has changed, it changed in the sense of time has progressed. We're not where we were eight thousand years ago because. A clock is ticking. That is not the same as the Father's clock, by the way. We simply promote doctrines that say Yahweh is somehow different now. <laughs> no, no, friend, no. Some things never change. <laughs> and what never changes is Yahweh's kindness to visit us. His willingness to look upon us with compassion. And what I'm trying to say is that when, when Yeshua came and the Emmanuel God-man reality became real life on a natural earth, there something did change into, into the new covenant reality. At the outset and birthing of it, where Yahweh went above and beyond anything we ever deserved— to reveal himself to us yet again and again extend a covenantal invitation to us to say, you know what? With me, some things never change. And I am a covenantal, I'm a covenantal father. And I desire a people. You weren't a people. How many times do I end up coming here? You weren't a people, but I've made you a people. And this is how you become my people. And then he showed us how. <laughs> As I'm always saying, Yahweh has always made himself knowable. 
He has always been approachable. He has always been full of mercy, compassions, compassion, and acceptance. Always. He never changes. And he demonstrates his works among men now as he always has. Yet, there is always criteria. There was criteria then with the the sacrificial system. And friends, there's criteria now. There is a different sacrificial system in place. And now it's not a lamb getting up on the altar, friends. It's you. It's me. So when everybody starts talking about all this greasy grace about how we just bask in Jesus now, well, what about climbing up on the altar and dying daily as we have been instructed? Criteria then, criteria now. Just one example, and then we'll get to part three. Hebrews chapter 5, friends. Hebrews 5. Yeshua became the source of eternal salvation. Amen. Amen. Salvation is extended to all mankind through the beautiful sacrificial lamb. It's almost Easter. Get the picture of the lamb, and he's sitting beside the bunny and wrap him up in a little pastel-colored bow with some some eggs. I know it's all pagan and idolatrous, but it's all about baby Jesus because he became the source of eternal salvation. Friends, continue the verse. And I know I'm being hard, but if, if we don't do this, people are going to be deceived to believe they are saved and eternally secure and, 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 and all these things we could say that, that, that makes us righteous because of the works of the Son. They're going to be led to believe that they're making a decision for a Jesus that is not the biblical Yeshua. And I'm not okay with that. So to continue in fullness, Hebrews chapter 5, Yeshua became the source of eternal salvation to those who obey him. To those who obey him, friend. This is no blanket tossed on all of humanity. This is precise. This is specific. And we must meet the criteria of being found as one who obeys him. And the Son did what the Father said. Why am I saying that? Because some things never change. Some things never change. We're going to finish up talking a little bit about Jeremiah chapter 31. It makes sense in here. I hope, Hopefully it does coming out of my mouth. I don't know. I'll watch these later and I'll decide and then you can decide when you watch them as well. My heart's posture is to present the full word of God the best I know how. And allow it to do its supernatural work. How many sermons have we heard that are just downright horrible, but like, man, you get that nugget of truth that the Word of God is by itself, and it re- it's revealed somehow by Holy Spirit's mysterious function? Oh, can change a life, right? It's not about us who's delivering it. It's not. It's something way beyond us, and thankfully so. So we're going to wrap up with part three, talking about some things never change. A biblical comparison of two dead sons. Thank you for watching. This is the Path to Zion podcast. You can always find us at pathdesign.com or, of course, on our YouTube channel. Send us an email, pathdesignpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for watching. Amen.